August 11th. So I'm going to begin with a question. When was the last time you felt hollow? Vacant. Like the spiritual life has just been flushed completely from you? Maybe that was this morning. Maybe it was uh, when you were sitting there thinking, yeah, it was about three hours ago. Maybe a couple of videos on the empty nest center. Just kind of activate us to the idea of talking about emptiness this morning. It's a series that we're drawing from the Psalms, and we've been talking about uh, emotions and feelings. And uh, we're talking today about a feeling of emptiness. Uh, and, and you know that emptiness just doesn't come from failure, does it? I don't know if you read the Washington Post article about a week and a half ago about Kelly Cabin. You may read that article, Kelly Cabin. She's a three-time world champion and a silver medalist at the 2016 Rio Olympics in team pursuit cycling. She's third from the left or second from the right, depending on how you Kelly was fluent in Chinese, pretty much self-taught, first chair violinist in the symphony orchestra. Received a perfect score on the SATs. Got a degree from the University of Minnesota in math and Chinese, and was pursuing a graduate degree in computational and mathematical engineering in Stanford. She was driven to reach the top of every endeavor that she pursued, and she did. The problem was that having reached the top, all she found there was emptiness. She committed suicide in her Stanford residence four months ago. And if you're here this morning, feel like you are the embodiment of the empty feeling. Maybe you feel like maybe things are pulling you down from above, or maybe you're on top. But you're feeling that having arrived there is not all that was wrapped up to be. It's great to hear this morning. But I want to see what God has to say about things that are going to pray for us. I thank you for this time we have to look into your word and see what it says. We pray that you might be able to infect us with your thoughts. Because this world is full of all kinds of thoughts that are not from thoughts from our own sinful nature, thoughts from the world around us. So we pray that you would just descend on this place and make us this morning. Amen. If you got your Bibles or you got your apps, I always recommend that you have such a thing so that you can ensure that uh, whatever's on the screen here, I'm not making it up. You know, always, always you know, trust and verify, right? Psalm 63. It's a song. It's we talked about last week's psalms are also prayers. It was composed by David during uh, a time of incredible duress when his own heart had been scraped raw to the point where he could barely find any hope whatsoever. Uh, his world has completely caved in. If you want to read the backdrop of this story, uh, it, it isn't pretty at all. Uh, it's really horrible. It involves incest and rape and the murder of one brother by another brother and a father who just kind of stands on the sidelines and does nothing and then when the crop comes in, we have Absalom, King David's son, who has won the hearts of the people 
raised an army and declared himself king. His forces have driven his father and his entourage from Jerusalem. But Absalom knows that his reign is insecure as long as David is alive. So he is in hot pursuit to kill him. David has been set completely adrift. He's running for his life. He's been cut off from all that he knew. Because all he can think of now is self-preservation. And there's a little, little passage tucked away in 2 Samuel 15, which kind of tells the story. And in that passage, it says that David's entourage passed through the Chidron Valley and moved out into the desert. And it's in that wilderness that David's heart just kind of crashes. So we're going to get to see what he wrote. Psalm 63, starting in verse. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As a dry and weary land. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as a fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds. He's feeling lost, and he's feeling weak, and he's feeling dry, a little bit alone. And his soul tank has got nothing in it. It's on E. And some people would say, David would probably agree, that few things can crush a human soul like the betrayal of one's own child. The character of that particular sin just kind of drains the desire for life away until each day sort of just becomes another funeral where parents lament what their family should have been, where they mourn what their family could have been. I mean, especially if you think that how things have gone is really maybe a lot of your fault. And see, that's where, that's where David is. And it's in that hour of darkness that David composes this psalm, this song, this prayer. It's a song that embodies how he's going to decide to respond, even though he finds himself in the, if you will, we talked about talk last week, the depths of despair, or when we turn Anna Green Gables way. We're looking at this idea of feeling hollow or empty. And if there's a theme I got from this passage, it's this. Empty is as empty does. Empty is as empty does. It's kind of a takeoff on that line from the Forrest Gump movie when he was actually convinced that he was kind of stupid. And his mom sets him down uh, one day and says, no, not Forrest. Stupid is as stupid does. Meaning that true intelligence is found in what you actually do, in actions, not just in labels. 
what's real is revealed in what we do, not necessarily in how we feel. Empty is as empty does. It means that sometimes recovery from emptiness is reclaimed by things that we do, by our actions, not necessarily by how we're feeling at the moment. Sometimes it's restored by what we choose to do when we feel like everything is lost. So what I want to do this morning is to look at what David did as he's in the desert, as he's in the wilderness, as he's kind of confronting this life-changing experience that he probably never dreamed would ever befall him. Probably feels like he'll never recover from that. And he didn't do everything wrong. Maybe like this guy on the screen, but he didn't. He did do three things, I think, right. What did David do in the depths of complete emptiness? Maybe we can learn to do the same thing when we're there. What should we do when we're empty? Point number one is this, we've got, we got, we got to go up. We've got to go up. Here again is the context. David's in the desert. He's being hunted by Absalom. He's weary and he's famished. He's thirsty. He's feeling desperate. He's feeling unloved at the moment. And this is where he starts in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. First thing he does is just kind of bear his heart to God. He talked about that last week, just honestly going to God and telling him how we're actually feeling about stuff. All these emotions. And just being honest with God about it. What does David hang on to when he's reached the point where he knows almost nothing? He sees no way out. He's not got some grand strategy to, to eradicate the problem. He begins this by reasserting God's role in his life. In fact, he, he begins by kind of just reasserting the very existence of God. Oh, God, I, I don't know much, but I do know that you exist. So I'm not going to turn in some other direction. I'm going to turn in your direction. I'm going to turn your way. I'm going to remind myself of what it is I believe. I don't feel it at the moment. But I choose to believe. Oh God, you do exist. Yeah, that's right. You are my God. You know, sometimes things get so bad that you just have to go back to the beginning. Maybe back to kindergarten. Well, Maybe not all the way to kindergarten, but back to where this whole thing with God sort of started. Remind yourself that there was indeed a day when God was real, when God was there, when He drew you to Himself, and you became His child. Oh God, you're my God. I'm not really feeling a lot of you right now. I don't really see you at work right now. And everything that I do see tells me that acknowledging you right now defies all logic. It defies all reason. Because that declaration wouldn't really mesh up with how I'm feeling right now. It is, it is not syncing up in any way, shape, or form with what I'm experiencing right now. But, but, in spite of that, I will force myself to just tune out the circumstances for a bit. And allow myself to go back and get to the basics and reflect on how this whole thing is and who I am. Oh, God, you are my God. 
something that John Calvin wrote about this particular passage, and he says, David's doing a, a whole lot more than simply praying. He sees David grabbing a hold of himself and dragging himself to a place where God is right there in front of him. It's almost as if David maybe is aware of his drift away from God and his trust in God. He's conscious of the lies maybe that have come into his heart. What worry about you not here? You don't care? You don't, you don't care about me? You don't, you don't see this thing going on? You're going to stop fighting to stop what He knows he's got nothing on the inside of his control. So he just decides to set himself smack before God. Or he just simply drags God into the equation. How are you going to picture it? But, but he gets his mind off of the dire circumstances for just a spell, just enough to focus on God for a spell. And when he does it, David gets back to the basics. Wait, 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 wait just a dog on a minute. I know who it is that owns me. And I know that he's not feeling empty towards me. I may not think that he's here. I may not think that he's in charge. I mean, based on how things seem to be going, so he fights against everything that he sees and everything that he's feeling, instead of choosing to sort of see by faith, you are my God. See, for the Christian, God has kind of fixed for us this new reality as a result of the cross and the resurrection. And it's a, it's a reality that is completely separate from our own feelings and our own individual circumstances. Let us remember our feelings or circumstances irrelevant. It's merely a reality that can be in place alongside of our feelings and our circumstances. It's a truth that can exist, coexist. It's a reality that first we're, we're loved by God, and second, God in Christ substituted himself to pay for our sins and died so we didn't have to. And by faith in that, we've actually been adopted into God's family. That makes us sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. We've been given the Holy Spirit. It's an objective reality that never changes no matter how you might feel. Yeah, there may be days when I feel empty. But one of the things that the cross and the resurrection tells us, one of the things that the gospel always declares to us, is that even though we might feel empty, our God is always full towards us. Though we feel empty, Oh, God, you are my God is true. That never changes. So David goes up. That means that David's perceptive enough to recognize in the moment that God himself is the answer for the emptiness. That God himself is the answer for the problems of the life that he's feeling right now. That God's the answer even when we think he's not. And that's important for us to remember. Because typically, you do this. I do this. When we're empty, when we have no real desire to acknowledge, maybe even engage in God, but think he's not there, isn't this what we do? Don't we tend to reach for something else that's available? Actually, we start playing with verse 1, and we start saying, Oh, job, you, you are my God. Oh, friends, you're, you're the place I'm going to go to to look for sanctuary. You're the ones I'm going to turn to. Oh, drugs, oh, alcohol, oh, pills, 
You're not going to let other women out there, man. Give me good things. Oh, my spouse. Oh, my kids. Oh, my marriage. You, you're my God. Rescue me from this. And the defendant does not. Or David does. He simply reconfirms that God is. That God is his God. And that he is God's. And he turns to pursue God. Earnestly. I see my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. My body aches for you. David understood that. David's empty and God sees far, far away. And rather than pursue other things, he fills his time with the activity, I mean, a whole body effort to pursue God. David's whole being is restless and unsatisfied. Not until he's found something else to satisfy, but until he's found God. So David's activity going up is an important part of recognizing the place to start. We just don't have it in us. We feel it. It also reveals the confidence that David has in God, even though he's not feeling God right now. Even though he's not experiencing God right now. He doesn't see God in the circumstances at this moment. One of the things that seems to be implied in David's going up he seems to know that God has put him in the desert. I mean, in other words, David's present circumstances, kind of where he finds himself at that moment, is almost adopted. See, when, when we cry out to God when we're in the desert, we kind of think that maybe God's not really charged, that the other people are doing this wrong, the circumstances are doing this wrong, the economy is doing this wrong, something else has done this wrong, but David sees it differently. He's recognizing not only as the king, but recognizing as one who's actually in control of everything. The one who's holding the joystick. The one who's, the one who's determining where David is or what's going to happen to him. And the reason that's the key is that we do have a temptation. We think that others are another circumstance who are driving the train. Now, It'd be easy for David to think, hey, Absalom is the guy that's in charge. He's the one that's caused all this thing. He's the one that's messed up by life. He's the one that's, that's in control. He's the one that's not playing by the rules. Yeah, he's going to blame everybody else. As the ones who are controlling the events of my life. It's the boss who just won't give me a break. Who plays by his or her own rules. And those rules don't seem to be anywhere near what is just or right. Or maybe somebody in your family, somebody who exerts a degree of control over what you perceive to be your future or your direction in life. And we can easily swap that thought, but everybody else in charge, not realizing that God is. The only fact is that God doesn't really exist. That he's totally unaware, he's uninvolved, and he doesn't really care. And we begin to relate to these other people as though they're the ones who really are in control of everything. When we hear in scripture, Absalom is indeed an historical person. But he's not just a person. He represents, at least in Psalm 63, that unexpected blow that comes seemingly out of nowhere. That you or I never could imagine in a million years we would ever suffer. These are decisions that be made by other people to see that have an effect on us. Maybe a trickle down effect, effect, or maybe a chain reaction that just create, crashes and creates major problems and complications for us. David, you gotta believe it, never, never dreamed that he would be betrayed by his own son, that David, his own son would do a coup d'etat, right? Because of how David was a 
anointed king. He never expected to be fleeing from a son trying to kill him. Never expected to be living in exile. And neither did we. Aren't things just supposed to be great all the time? For us as Christians. Yeah, we must be actually read the Bible. I, I can't really relate to David's experience here. I mean, in all its glory. But I feel like Jackie and I had sort of a, a sliver of it. We helped start a church years ago. And once that church became independent, these unexpected problems, unanticipated challenges showed up. Some weird behaviors. There were mistakes and some ignorance and some betrayal uh, to the point that God let us out of it. But it took four years for God to give us the permission to depart. That was not the trajectory I applied. I thought, well, this church is going to be how God is going to use, uh, fulfill His promise, His call on me when I was 27 years old to put me in full-time ministry. What was that? I would say I felt a flood about that whole thing collapsed. But I did feel like the dream that I thought God had for me was completely gone. I didn't see any way possible for this to come to pass. And I gotta tell you, it was a little disorienting. I love us feeling kind of empty. But we had read Psalms 23, but we did something right. We went back to the basics. And we went up. Was God our Yes. Did we feel like God had actually sent us to be a part of this church plan? Or did we just invent that as we wanted to? No, we felt him clearly tell us that's what we should do. Well, had we sinned in some way as a result that caused part of the consequences? No, that was the case And yet, God allowed us to go through that horrific experience. Had he let God be the one that allowed us to God put us there and then allowed us to go through that. Yes. God was in charge. He, he allowed us to do that. Why? It's all wrong, though, right? Why? What do you think of God? What's behind the curtain that makes sense of this? We didn't know. So, once we got to that point, we said, okay, God, we, we do not have a clue. We don't understand anything that's going on. We don't understand how we prevented it. But it's clear that you caused that work. Work blew up. You caused out of it. The dream we thought you had for us is gone. We don't know what you're up to, but you know what? You're our God. And we trust you. We have no idea how, but we believe you can make something good come out of this mess. And it wasn't the next day. All of a sudden, it was like the tectonic plates of the universe began to shift. That God simply used a plethora of people and events and circumstances that seemed totally unconnected and connected them to put us back on a path that 10 years later led us here. See, we, 
we could have been very different about the experience and the betrayals and focused on that and focused on everybody else living wrong. But I don't know why, but we chose another option. We went up. See, now I can see. Now I can see the plan of God on this internet. That way when it happened, God didn't say, hey, Blaine, come over here for a second. I just want to show you some stuff. Here, here's what's going to happen. I got this all figured out for you. You're going to have this terrible thing take place, but ultimately it's going to turn out really, really good. Then this will happen, and then that's going to happen, and then it's over here. What happened? You're going to totally love what I got planned. You know? so, so just chill for a bit. It'll all work out great if you just kind of relax and let it play out. But God did not do that. God typically does not do that. You'd be amazed if God ever does that. He just exercises it right as he sees fit, running everything. And he's going to accept us at different seasons of life to ensure this, that we still have to go back to basics and decide to walk by faith and not by sight and still trust him through the mess. And to trust him anew, just like we did at the very beginning, except in Christ, pay for our sins. Now, maybe there's a specific way you can relate to all this junk this morning. Maybe for you, uh, this season you're in, you feel a little bit like David. You feel chased, embarrassed, and unloved, and empty. Maybe for you, you're, you're blaming Absalom. Maybe your whole explanation for why you are where you are is that you've got this other person, these other people, and they're messing with your life. But, but David learned that God has his own plan. It supersedes everybody else's plan. And that while feelings are important, first and foremost priority was not how David happened to feel about the circumstances he was in. It was first to admit who he is and what God has done for him and who God is. And for us as Christians, it's got to be about that who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And David reminded himself of that. In my experiences, it's been that God will sometimes act in a way that just empties us out. That just hollows us out in a way of forcing us to reboot and reestablish his preeminent role in our life. And to remind us that we are to walk by faith, not by sight, not by the circumstances. So if you walk with this morning feeling empty, let me encourage you to do that. Follow the name Go up. Because the deed is as if he does. So, so go up. That's the first point. I think the second point is this. David does it. We gotta go back. Point one, we gotta go up. Point two, we gotta go back. Check out verse two. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary. Behold in your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Let us see what happened. See what's happening here? David is beginning to recall the times in the past when he was satisfied, when he was filled, when he was awed by and impressed by God. It's like he's going back in time and thinking, oh, I, re I remember those times. I was, I was in church and I experienced your power. And Lord, I remember the time you spoke to me. I remember the time you ministered to me. I remember the time you changed things. I remember the time you made a way, a, a path. When you, when you stepped in and did something. I remember you and your steadfast 
love for me. Actually, verse 6, he says, he recalls times, you remember God while laying in bed and meditating on God's word in the dead of night. Verse 7, he goes back to the times when God actually assisted him and talked to me. Listen, David, this isn't the first time David was wondering in the wilderness. He's anointed king, he becomes a special, special dude with King Saul. And Saul begins to get jealous. Saul tries to throw a spear at him, killed with David's own mind, hiding from the king for some years, right? He's been out there before. Never thought he was going to be there again. He says, I remember those times. Kind of like this when you were actually my help. So, so, so this is what's happening here. David may be in a place where his soul feels empty. My mind is mind is full because he's intentionally going back and remembering times when God was real and God acted. When God was close to him. When God stepped in and did stuff. Brought him through the nightmares. This might be the most striking feature of our theme. Empty is as empty does because David might feel empty but he decides to fill his mind with God's activity in his life in the past. He decides to respond to feeling empty in the way that he lived when he felt full. He decides to respond to feeling empty in the way he lived when he felt satisfied. So part of David's prescription for his empty soul is to say, you know what? I'm going to choose to worship. I, I, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go up to God. I'm going to look up. I'm going to, get, I'm going to go back. I'm going to remember those experiences of encountering God. And then he says, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to lift up my hands. I'm, my, my, my soul, I'm, I'm going to sing for joy, right? So, so it's happening. Going back takes him back to those experiences when God's hope was real in the forefront, the forefront of his life, when God was faithful. It's almost like God, it's almost like David has jumper cables. And he takes the jumper cables and he attaches them to his past and connects them. And it seems to jumpstart his present. And what it triggers is worship. It's a specific strategy David has. David is employing this. Remember the past. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. The jump starts his ability to believe God to be faithful, even in the past right now. Even though I feel utterly empty, I believe that God can still make a way. John Wesley said it this way. He said about preaching. If you don't have faith, you preach it. You preach faith until you have it. And then once you get it, you preach it because you got it. Preach faith until you have it, and then preach it because you have it. And I thought about that quote, and I think it's a little bit what David is doing. He's praising God until he feels filled by God, but then he's praising God because he feels filled by God. David worships him, not because he's experiencing incredible satisfaction in the moment in the activity of God. Remember, David's circumstances have not changed one bit, but his heart is filled up because he's remembering. God has always been real. God has always been there. God has always been faithful. And God's always been a help. And going back helps throw the charge forward to the present. And just begins to charge up his soul. He's recognizing that he might be feeling empty. But the worship is filled. He uses this great visual in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That sounds awesome. For most of it sounds awesome, right? For some of us, that might be our entire food pyramid, right? But think about Thanksgiving or Christmas or your favorite birthday meal. Think about the times when you were stuffed, right? That's what David is doing. He's remembering those times and what 
to be full and satisfied and confident in God. And he's, he begins to jack up this confidence that that's going to happen again. So he feels like Is that you? Go back. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness in the past. Let that prop up your faith now. And then worship God as if it's real. Expecting Him to be involved. Expecting Him to engage. David went up. David went back. And finally, David goes passionate. Scripture has a lot of David's faults recorded for us. But one fault he doesn't have is a lack of passion. It seems like God's answers for empty are not just the rantings of someone who feels like they've been victimized by God or circumstances. David seems to know that this whole thing requires a body experience. He's working on his heart a little bit, right? He's working on his mind a little bit. He's brought his soul around, and now he gets his body involved. Look at the physical response. My lips will praise you, my hands will be lifted up, I will sing. All these things that David is summoning from himself and his body are actions that reflect the emotions that he wants to have for God, even as he's feeling empty right now. So he goes big with all his soul and all his mind and all of his strength. And he wants to respond with God with a passion for what he knows is true, even though he's not actually feeling right now. And for David, this is not denial. He's a bit like hell. He just recognizes that there can be a reality. There can be a truth. There can be an existence that can coexist alongside his feelings of emptiness. And he seems to know that sometimes the best way to move forward is to move consistent with what he knows to be true rather than what he's feeling at the moment. So he goes energetic and he goes passionate. He's passionately reaching out for God. Goes up. Passionate members of God has what God's done and goes back. He does not quit, he does not give up, he keeps at it. Maybe you're keeping at it passionately, isn't jumping up and down and stop and shaming for the rooftops. You can be you in this, right? But what does it look like for you when you are, when you are passionate about something? Do that in your sleep. God. Are you ready? I guarantee you when you're passionate, your whole body's involved. Like the mass news of another game and game game music hit by the way pitch of Jesus Dean. Thank you, passion about that. My whole body's involved. Maybe it's not shouting here, maybe it's tears. Maybe it's not jumping, maybe it's falling on your face. But what's going on here with David says that this is to happen, even when he's feeling abandoned and empty and forgotten, because worship isn't just about present feelings. It's about recalling past experiences and counting on God's future activity. See, sometimes in marriage, you get a fight or something, you, you feel a little empty, right? But does that feeling make you less weary? Are you somehow less great than you were before you had to fight? It does make you less bloody. And if you go back to that spouse, you keep re-engaging, you get back and remember the love of the spouse, and ponder and fantasize how your future could be. Despite the current feelings right now, you might be amazed how feelings come back and how circumstances ultimately change. Maybe somebody's thinking, well, why do you really don't get me? You don't get how it is for me. 
was back all the other days, you bad, you always jobs in this area, you always have a death in the eyeballs, no matter what I do, I just can't seem to dig out. Or that I wake up in the morning and I just flat on I've got nothing, I'm just depressed. And it's been like that all the time. So as I look out into the future, I see no possibility of change. So if that's you, can I just encourage you to remember our feet? Empty is as empty does. David's approach was something like this. Okay, I'm packed up. Totally empty, I got nothing. Had to leave quick, I got nothing, but I'm an army. I'm being chased by the weapon. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to praise God. Until I'm filled with praise for God. Then I'm going to praise God because I'm filled. I'm going to praise God until God moves. And then I'm going to praise God because He I'm going to praise God until I'm feeling it, but then I'm going to praise God because I'm feeling it. I'm going to praise God until I'm satisfied, and then I'm going to praise God because I'm satisfied. And I've got to tell you, David did this, and he was still in the desert. Things didn't turn around around. He didn't turn around everything just because he wrote this song. But he just praised God and he said, Well, your life. And in the end, David found God faithfully and engaged. And David did return to Jerusalem as king. So we might feel empty. And we might feel that our God is empty for us.